Hello everybody, Sophie here. Welcome to episode three of the Drop-In Sessions presented by Mermaid Gin. I hope you've been enjoying this epic journey so far. I definitely have, and I am so unbelievably stoked to welcome our next guest to the Drop-In Sessions. I have been such a fangirl for years of this awe-inspiring sailor, author, activist, and surfer. For those of us who daydream and hanker after experiencing authentic surf adventure, who salivate over the thought of sailing around the world, then if you haven't picked up a copy of Swell, A Sailing Surfer's Voyage of Awakening, Captain Liz Clark's autobiography of her tales at the high seas, refurbishing and living aboard her 40-foot sailboat Swell for over 10 years, is a must for your bookshelf. When Liz Clark set sail from the US after being bequeathed her sailboat swell by great friend and mentor Barry Clark in her 20s, it was the beginning of a fantastic journey of epic highs and lows aboard her boat, a true pilgrimage of discovery and learning, of brilliant moments of human connection, of exposure to nature at its most raw and wild, of self-reflection, extraordinary tenacity, and a story of adventure so awesome it could give Robinson Crusoe a run for its money. From the U.S. to Central America and across the Pacific Ocean to Tahiti, Liz's adventures and warts and all reflections about the reality of a life at sea, of course filled with so many moving moments of natural beauty, of fun, of epic swells and honest-to-God's radical experience, the relationship she encountered, but also punctuated with the gritty toughness of just how challenging it is living solo aboard a sailboat. I mean, could you guys imagine sailing across a knee-knockingly terrifying storm on your own? Liz's adventures have ignited people's imaginations worldwide since she started her blog all those years ago, leaving the US on her maiden voyage. Since then, Liz now calls Tahiti her home, and her activism work, which started when she faced the glaring, shocking realities of marine pollution, climate change, overfishing, and the destruction of natural habitats on her journeys, has expanded from blogging while sailing to a more hands-on approach. We are dialing in with Captain Clark, homeside in Tahiti, for episode three of the Drop-In Sessions. Liz, how are you? Welcome to the Drop-In Sessions. Hi, Sophie. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just speaking the truth. And like I said, I am a genuine fangirl. So I'll try hold it together. Um, it's definitely it's definitely going to be difficult. And um, for those of you listening, yeah, Liz is Liz is uh, speaking to us from Tahiti. So the connection is a little bit dropping in, in and out. But producer, hopefully you're going to be getting that all sorted for when we're going live with this. <laughs> um so how is everything living in Tahiti for you? Was it a big adjustment living on land after over 10 years at sea? Yes, it it was definitely difficult for me to detach from swell. The first um, bit of time just not sleeping on the boat was so strange. But at the same time, um, I was really ready for a new chapter and some a bit more comfort in my life. I had spent, you know, more than 10 years kind of like pretty much camping on the water and um, always, you know, kind of needing to seek out my essentials like water and always being vigilant of the weather and things like that. So it's been, it's been a really, um, it's been a really nice new transition to be on land and to have a bit of more of those creature comforts. 
which has also given me such a bigger capacity to um, be able to do my activism work and apply myself to some of these projects that I've got going on. So, so it's good. Awesome. Awesome. And we're going to get to those exciting projects of which there are many, but um, I just, yeah, I really can't express how much I enjoyed your book. I only read it last year. I was almost saving it. Like you do a really good <laughs> bottle of wine that your like parents give you for like your 18th <laughs> birthday. Um, but yeah, what I loved was like, you showed this really raw and beautiful form of travel of experience of the human animal and natural world connections, but also just like the stark realism of how effing hard it is managing a boat and sailing at Soho. So, I mean, when you set sail uh, quite a few moons back from the US, did you think your journey would turn into the adventure it did and continues to? No, I, I had no idea that I would want to keep doing it for as long as I did. Um, you know, I, at the beginning, I envisioned maybe two years um, and to go all the way around the world in two years. And what I realized getting out there was that so much of my time was taken up by uh, repairing the boat and doing all of the things that it takes just to just to live that lifestyle, provisioning and checking in and out of ports and um, just fixing a lot of things. The list of repairs never, never gets finished. So, um, you know, I really needed I realized that I, I needed a lot more time than I had originally thought to be able to really um, enjoy and grow and learn and have, you know, the experiences that I set out to have. Yeah. And, oh man, there were just like, yeah, so many good moments. You've mentioned the repairs and I was just almost like biting my fingernails reading those sections where like, how long was that longest period of time? Was it in Tahiti where you were like in the oh, dockyard? Yeah. Was it like six months or a year? I, yeah, so I had <laughs> this mysterious leak in the hole that you couldn't see from the outside and it was really hard to tell from where it was, where the water was coming in from the inside of the boat. Um, and it took three haul outs over, um, and I was in the boatyard for like 11 months in total so it was a long time and the boat really loses a lot of its charm when it's on the water or on the land I'm sorry um you know yeah. you don't have so many of the basic things that make the boat functional when it's in the water and all of course all of the freedom and beauty that's surrounding you mm -hmm. it turns into mud and mosquitoes and um noise and dust and so um yeah it was that those boatyard times were definitely some of the most challenging and like longest lasting, mm -hmm. you know, some of the storms that I found myself in were really not fun either, but, you know, generally, mm. um, the longest one I was in was that, um, kind of like 10 days coming back from Kiribati to Kiribati to Bora Bora. And, um, and, you know, the boatyard, time has just stretched on for months and it really tested my endurance and my desire to keep going you know it was just way way harder than I ever imagined but keep going you did and thank god you did and um like thinking about those just like the magical moments in the books I just love it like you know when you're first getting to Central America and you're like scoring epic surf or like 
when you guys come across other boat owners and like they cook do a cook up for you or like share beers or you find like a much treasured beer hiding at the back of your fridge after like a particularly tough moment on the boat. (laughs) I think you just, the way you wrote it was just so beautiful. It included all those epic highs, all the tough lows, and was just like such a 360 picture as well as your human experience. And you went through a period of depression as well as this was happening. So, I mean, you shared so many different facets of your experience. Was that what you had envisaged for your book? You know, as I was writing the book, I it was such an incredible process, you know, um, to be to try to recreate your story for others and to share all these experiences. And there was just so many facets to what I'd experienced that, um, you know, it was it was such a big job to try to fit all of that in. And you know, um, in the end, I. I at the beginning, I kind of just dumped it all out on the pages. And I, afterwards, I went back and decided, okay. Um, but, you know, I ended up keeping so much of what I thought I would cut out because at the end, I just decided, you know, if the story isn't honest, then what's the point of me taking all of this time um, behind the screen and, you know, putting putting out something that doesn't isn't a true representation of, of what happened. and of course, I couldn't fit every little detail in the whole 10-year adventure into the book, but I really wanted to make people understand that uh, I'm not some superwoman superhero that's, you know, I know I'm a, I'm a human that has all of, that went through all of these challenges and that, um, you know, I hoped that that would make the adventure feel more accessible to people. Um, and that was really important to me. Mm. I think that's really cool. I actually would definitely agree. It made it seem accessible because when you read like, I love adventure literature. Like I have a whole bookshelf full of it. They're like my babies. Like I stroke my books. I love them. Like yours is there now too. And but some of them are just like, you're like, sweet Jesus. Like that's so far fetched, but your the humanism of what you brought to yours definitely made it so much more relatable and like oh gosh like I could maybe go on an adventure like that and it was it was just amazing to read um and for I mean so this podcast is on a surfing magazine's website right so a lot of the action within the book about surfing you're a surfer was just like the stuff people freaking dream about like perfect glassy empty tropical waves I mean was it everything you'd kind of expected? Is it everything that we fantasize about? Like when we're thinking about those like paradise waves just in the middle of nowhere? I mean, yes, I, I definitely found myself in those moments um, again and again. But there was, you know, a lot of work that went into getting there. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't all the time. So um, I had this balance of, of, highs and lows all the time it was you know I would be grunt work in Panama City for a whole month um in a polluted bay trying to you know get sorted to go west across the Pacific and then and then like half a day out of Panama City City finding myself in, in like the most perfect island setting with crazy beautiful um right and left hander just 
peeling off nobody out and just being my girlfriend, you know? So um, it was really always a surprise. I never knew what was coming next. And I think that is what made it extra special is to be kind of like facing the unknown all the time. So when you do find yourself in that dreamy moment that every surfer wants to be in, um, you know, for me, it was just like fireworks. It was just so, so um, exciting. And I felt so proud to have kind of, you know, made my way there. It was like, just all that more uh, rewarding to have been able to find it on my own and um, just in that way where I'm not at a surf camp or I'm not at a, you know, Mm. a more structured adventure type of setting. Um, It really made it special. And that's really, really what I was seeking um, at the core of all of this, I set out as a surfer, um, you know, and I grew so much and, you know, so much other, so many other things became important to me through the journey, but at the core, I'm still a surfer and so many of my priorities and decisions become, um, are made because of, because of that, you know. That's it. That's epic. And I just love those parts of the book where it's like you literally like surf your brains out, paddle back to the boat, like chomp down on five mangoes. Then you go back for more and you're all sun scorched. I'm like, oh, my God, that actually sounds like the best experience any human could experience. And like surfing is just amazing. And like those of us who do it know. Do you know what I mean? It's like that quote when you're like once you're in, you're in. It's like the mafia. You just know how wonderful the experience is. But that's almost another level now because so many surf sports now, they're all pretty busy, right? Like surfing is the popular kid in the room right now. So to like work hard for that must have, yeah, it must have felt incredibly rewarding. It really, really did. And to, yeah, be able, growing up in Southern California and having experienced the other extreme of, um, you know, trying to learn how to surf in big crowds and um, being, you know, in the fewer, um, you know, not a lot of females in that era where I was learning. So, uh, you know, I was always fighting for a wave and, and just so to be able to experience surfing in um, a situation where you have just so few people and you can really choose the wave you want. And um, I mean, it just, it just changed my whole uh, way of seeing surfing and appreciating it and um I just feel so so fortunate to have gone for it and you know found what I've you know had the experiences that I've had out there you're making me literally want to sell everything and do the same thing right now I'm being like transported into the dream right now Um, yeah the the workload and the the times in between are are just as real, and um, and I do. But I, I I encourage anyone who asks me, you know, is it worth it? I oh I always think it is, um, mm-hmm. because if you want something bad enough, you you push through all those challenges, and I really do believe that that's what makes us grow as a person, and and you know really live a satisfied, fulfilled life, you know? 
Amazing. Yeah. And now a little birdie told me that Swell is being adapted for a TV series. Um, can you let the cat out the bag and tell me more? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super, I'm super excited. The book um, was picked up by a screenwriter who just loves Swell um, as much as it sounds like you do. And um, she's just seems like a really great fit for the project and so we are working we're going back and forth um on building the outline for the episodes at the moment and um I actually have a, a meeting with her after this podcast so so yeah she is um really creative and experienced and I'm just thrilled to be um to see the story going to the next step. And, um, of course I think, you know, I'm so close to the story, so it, it's a little difficult film makes, wants to turn things to turn reality a little bit into, um, sometimes not what it actually was, but, um, I'm sure we're going to find a good compromise and, um, I'm, I'm just, I think making the story more accessible to other people who might not read the book um, is a great thing. And the more women we can reach and empower and the more um, people we can reach about the environmental aspects of the book too, um, I think I just couldn't be happier that, you know, those messages are gonna be broadcast even farther. Even further, yeah. Well, biggest congrats, that's so awesome. I'll like, obviously be avidly watching when it comes out um <laughs> and so like thinking like for a lot of people listening they're probably thinking oh my god like Liz she must be a professional sailor like how else could she do this like did the ocean like sailing like feature far back in your life like where did you grow up was it something your parents introduced you to yeah so I did grow up on sailboats with my family my my dad was really the sailor between my parents, but my mom enjoys the ocean as well. And um, they, we did all our like family vacations and um, long weekends out on the family sailboat. And then when I was nine years old, we took a, a longer extended trip. They took us out of school and we sailed to Mexico for a season. And I think it was really during that time that I began formulating this idea that I would want to see the world that way. Um, and we continued to, you know, do sailing trips um, as I was in my teens, but that's kind of when I discovered surfing and I became way more focused on surfing um, through my teens. And then it was when I was living up in um, Santa Barbara, going to UCSB, um, getting my degree and environmental studies that um, I realized there's just so many of these surf spots that are inaccessible um, by car or by land and that my, my sailing background could actually be a huge asset um, to me being able to score these less accessible waves. And so um, towards the end of school, my dad let me live on his sailboat in the Santa Barbara Harbor and I started taking short trips, you know, out to the islands, up up the coast, um, and just the dream just started, you know, it it started to take shape in this new way that my um, my sailing 
goal or my sailing um, dream to see more of the world could become this like epic surf trip at the same time. And that's when really um, I just put it in my mind that that's, that was what I wanted to do. That is so cool. So you were like checking out these like inaccessible breaks and kind of had a brainwave like, oh my God, like maybe sailing there could be a way to get to them. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, during my teens, I would kind of be like, oh dad, we're going to that. We have to go on the sailboat again because I wanted to be surfing, you know, especially if there was a swell, I would just be like anxious the whole time we were in some calm bay, you know. Um, But once I realized that, yeah, those two passions could could kind of work together or my, my sailing background and knowledge from just growing up around it um, could be applied to my surf frothiness. Um, yeah. Propel, propel, propelled by surf frothing us. I like yes, that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. And um so like talking about your great friend, Barry Clark. So he featured very prominently in your book and was someone who came into your life with a wealth of experience and was the owner of Swell before you. Um, and I just love the way you talked about him within the book. And it's so clear he had such an impact on you. Do you feel is almost, would you describe him as a mentor like figure and, is it funny to now maybe feel that you are for many people this kind of like inspirational like mentor type figure in their lives? Ah, uh, yeah, I've never really thought of it that way, but um yeah, Barry was such a special human and I I was just so fortunate to have met him and um and we shared just such a special friendship. And I think I was able to enhance the, you know, the last years of his life in a way that was extra special to him too. And of course he, you know, was my shooting star that I caught and he empowered me to this big dream, even as much as, as hard as I had to work to still, um, you know, make it all happen without his support um, and his encouragement at the beginning. I, I just don't, I just don't think that I would have ever, you know, I still might be saving for a boat right now. Um, so who knows, you know, what, what would have happened um, if I hadn't met him, but it sure empowered me and enabled me to do the trip exactly like I wanted to. And, um, he was he was just so amazing. He empowered a lot of other women in the sailing world through his um, lifetime and and in the academic world as well. And um, it was really clear when I flew back to California for his memorial. Um, <laughs> there were hundreds of people there that all had stories of Barry and his wife Jean. Um, you know, quietly they didn't really they weren't the people who showboated all of, you know, the people that the thing, the good things that they did for the world, but they, um, you know, they were quietly helping lots and lots of people. And so, yeah, for me, um, they both remain so, um, 
he and his wife both remain so uh, just imprinted on me. And I, I just hope that I can, you know, try to live up to uh, the legacy that they've left and, and um, continue Barry's environmental um, dreams and goals and, uh, you know, be a role model for others too. I feel like you certainly are. And um, just on the environmental side, so whilst you were sailing and you were abroad, you started your blog and -hmm. began your activism work, which has gained so much in momentum um, from like your insights into the impact of pollution, your powerful depictions, which was very powerful for me of how like westernization is affecting local cultures, Mm. how we care for animals and like all the strays you came across. Um, And now that you're living on land, you've really been rooting your work on land. Um, can you tell me more now, forgive me if I mispronounce this, about your organization, Atia Matera Island Protectors? Yeah, so um, just generally, you know, it was a big transition for me to be, I, I feel like before when I was living on the boat, you know, I was never rooted in anywhere for any length of time to really uh, work on a project that was you know took more investment I feel like my blog was really my discovery of seeing all of these impacts firsthand and then you know sharing um, what I was seeing with with others and um, and my own journey into trying to become more uh, conscious and and change my own uh, habits and lifestyle to to be more um, conscious and environmentally friendly um, and then when I you know I that never ends, but I, I got to a point where I, I felt like I wanted to do more. And so since being on land, um, I've connected with the community here. My partner is from this island. And um, I, you know, during the time I was writing my book, um, which, is, which was really close to where I'm living now, um, I was observing all of these things in the community that really could use some some work. And, um, once I was finished with the book project, I, you know, it was really kind of like started by a group of us surfers, which just talking about things in the lineup that we were frustrated by and, um, you know, thinking about overdevelopment and how things could change in our community. If there's not somebody kind of, you know, looking out for, for the other side. Um, so we formed, a a nonprofit organization called Atia Materia. You did really good. Island Protectors. And we do, we are doing a lot of different um, work in the community, but we kind of just decided to take the big three items that we're, that are most glaring needs for this community, which are um, obviously environmental protection and ocean conservation. And um, we, are doing a lot of animal welfare work. We have a really big overpopulation of dogs on the island. So we're trying to bring solutions to that at the moment. And along with, um, we're finally actually, at the beginning we had this goal, but we hadn't really had the bandwidth to put it in place, but we're finally getting in place um, some youth programs, some um We've done a lot of school interventions and presentations and things like that, but this is we're hoping to build something that's a bit more um, long term and quality for for the kids of the island. So um, 
So yeah, it's 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 a lot of work and it's such different work than I was doing before, um, you know, being on the boat all the time. But uh, it's a really fun new challenge for me because, you know, as a solo sailor, I was I was always attacking problems by myself. And now I'm in a community where I need to rely on others, especially not being from here. I can't just go in and tell people how to do things. Um, it takes, you know, I'm really in the background and um, just doing what I can to support the local people in what they want to do in their community. Um, so it's really fun. It's really different from what I was doing before and um, can be slow and frustrating sometimes, but um, the seeing the change and just trying to live the act local um, motto it is really a fun new um, new adventure for me. Epic. And I love like the snippets you've been sharing of your work that come up on Instagram and your website. And it looks like, I mean, it's really sparking in the local community and with local leaders, right? Yeah, we've had um, especially incredible success with a uh, fishing project or a marine protected areas project that we uh, started about a year ago. Um, there are currently really few regulations in place about fishing and a lot of the local people depend on fishing for sustenance as well as um, income. And so right now, you know, there's just the, the lagoons are decimated. There's, you know, just overfishing to the degree where it's becoming, um, you know, really hard for the people to continue living like uh, off of fishing and as well as even finding something to eat. So um, for me, this project was a huge priority. Um, we started, we kind of modeled it off of a project that I had read about um, of Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson not sure if you know who she is, but she's an incredible marine biologist, climate activist. And she did this project in Barbuda that where she interviewed all of the fishermen on the island and really included them in the process of creating new, um, new regulations to protect, uh, you know, the, the ecosystems. And um, so we set out to interview uh fishermen in eight of in the eight villages in our community and um it just sparked this wildfire um it was almost like everyone was in their own corner um not communicating about the big issue this big glaring um elephant in the room and after we did over 100 interviews um and it just sparked we, we were able to kind of like see who was the leader in each community to um, kind of like pick it up, pick up the ball and um, run with it. And so um, it's just incredible to see now um, it's just taken on a life of its own. And that's exactly what we were, you know, hoping for uh, was to be able to, you know, start it from the roots up. And so the fishermen are the ones deciding, making all the big decisions and, um, that we really believe is going to be the way that the rules are respected if it comes from within. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's one of our really most exciting projects at the moment. 
Yeah, I saw I saw that recently on your Instagram. Um, it looks super exciting. So so well done. It must it must be really challenging work, but it sounds like it's all it's going well. So that is great to hear. And, it is. Uh, Sorry, it's a mouthful. I, I get so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. And um, I mean, you've been like a long term ambassador to Patagonia, right? And they've been really supportive of your adventures and also of your activism work. Like, yes. how do you work with them on your activism projects, for example? Like, how do they kind of like root in with you? So they've given me so much freedom through the years. Um, I feel so, so lucky to have worked with a team that is just believes in me so much that they you know sometimes I don't know which direction to go um you know and even when I was sailing there was times where I just wasn't sure I was doing the right thing and um and my team there and and you know even correspondence with Yvonne himself um would always encourage me that what I was doing actually had value on its own um whether I was, you know, involved in some kind of physical or like more hands-on project or not. And um, this transition onto land for me was really scary. I was thinking, you know, am I losing my value to this brand who had supported me and um, kind of like been my bread and butter uh, for many years? Am I not going to be, if I'm not out on the ocean um, doing these big adventures is, is, am I still, you know, worthwhile to support? And, and, um, I think the timing with the environmental crisis being what it is today and with the mission statement of Patagonia, um, even becoming more focused on saving our home planet. Um, I think that that is, has guided their, decision to continue to support my work um, and kind of become a model for other athletes to really get engaged in their um, communities and and how important it is for you know for me I still love sailing I still love that adventure of getting out there and discovering new places and um, but right now I, I feel like I was so lucky to have lived that dream that I did and I feel like I did it and I feel like the world needs me in other ways right now and 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 so that's so wonderful to have Patagonia um cheering me on and you know if I whatever I need they do their best to make it happen and so yeah couldn't be more grateful and lucky to have such a supportive um, an amazing company being the example and, and, um, also, you know, you know, just living up to what they, uh, stand for by continuing to support my, my, um, my new, my next, you know, step in this journey. It's always good to hear when a brand actually does like, kind of like, you know, do what they're, they're saying they're going to do. So, so that's, that's really For cool sure. to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, Cause some, sometimes it's like all talk, no trousers. Right. We, I mean, that's like an English expression maybe, but <laughs> yes, no, you're so right. I, yeah. It, um, I've just been more and more impressed by 
as even though they've grown so much um, through the time that I've been with them, they've grown exponentially, you know, but um, it's really good to see them sticking to some of these most core values. Awesome. And um, so my next question is about something I also love, which is cats uh, a lot. <laughs> and on, your, on your Instagram and in your book and just everywhere, like your love of animals is clear and you're doing a lot of work with animals. And many of your followers and fans follow and have followed your loving relationships with your sweet pets, um, including mm. your new kitten, Ature. Is that right? Yes, yeah. And, <laughs> and Amelia, your sweet cat, who passed away a few years back. Um, mm. So have you always loved animals? Like like me, have you always been a crazy cat lady? Or is this something that kind of developed as you came across so many strays on your trips and animals mm. needing homes? Yeah, I mean, I've always loved animals. I remember even on that trip to Mexico when I was a little kid, you know, wanting to save all the the dogs and fe- feed everyone my lunch. And um, so I always remember having that really compassionate side of me. I think through my teenage years, and especially as I was so goal-oriented and getting off the dock and getting on this adventure, that I, you know, animals were not a big part of my life during those times. Um, I was just so on a mission and um, anything that didn't fit into the uh, bigger goal of, of what I was working towards, just I didn't have a lot of time for. And, um, and so even during the whole trip, you know, there were so many times when I wanted to take an on a stray or take on an animal, but it just didn't seem fair to the animal because I was such a nomad and I was never, there was never a routine. It was just, uh, you know, it seemed like it, I couldn't give an animal um, the best life. And and then, you know, when I met Amelia, it was a time where I really just needed some good companionship. And um, Amelia just, there was something about her that um, reminded me of my core, of, of who I really am. Um, when I met her, she was super wild and um courageous but she also had this soft side and um at the time I was kind of just lost and coming out of a really difficult relationship and so um she just kind of reminded me of who I was and she was so fun to be around and um and through that developing that relationship with her uh you know I was just reminded of how incredibly dynamic and complex animals are and how much we have to learn from them and so um it kind of just sparked this uh you know new desire to connect with animals more and to and to do better for them and um so yeah it's been it's been wonderful amelia was such an incredible incredible crewmate and um soul and i'm I feel so, so lucky to have connected with her in this life. And Atura is just as as awesome. And, um, yeah, it's it's wonderful to be able to have animals in your life. Oh, it is. I've also been somewhat of a nomad and um, planning on 
getting to two kitties hopefully at the end of the year so Yay. I'm very excited about that <laughs> oh that's wonderful <laughs> it's really really fun it, it, it really did make swell more of a home I felt um when when I got her uh just to have her very little heartbeat next to me just made it so wonderful so I'm excited for you thank you so much me too I, I sometimes joke to to my boyfriend I'm like because I had this cat before who was with me till her last days and I literally love more than anything and I'm like I love yeah. her more than you I but know. joking not joking <laughs> totally Toby would say the same thing to me oh, so funny wait do you love the cat more or me like, oh, I have to answer that <laughs> I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I found a, cr- a fellow crazy cat lady. I feel oh, like yeah. there's a few of us across I've the got globe. You, girl. Yeah. Sure. Um. Well, man, like life sounds good. It sounds busy. It sounds fruitful. Do Do you ever get yearning to like get out on the high seas again and be live that nomadic life? Is that Is that going to happen again ever? I. I just, you know, for for a little while there, I did not. I, I was so saturated with after so many years of it. I think I was, I was just so excited to be on land and experiencing something different. Like even sweeping with a normal broom was exciting. Like I just hadn't lived in a house in in so long. So, um, but now um, I've been getting the desire to be out at sea again and um swell has like a just a crazy amount of work needed to be done before I could actually take off again so I've been doing things little by little in between all the other projects so I don't get you know I spend like one one or two days a week out on the boat working on something and it's actually quite therapeutic for me to kind of like be back in that space and um, think about um, a, a eventual voyage again, and I'd really like to explore some of the northwestern Pacific. Um, some of that area looks just really remote and less traveled, and so uh, I'm plotting and scheming. But I'd really like to get some of these projects we're working on more um, in a uh, you know get them to the point where they're functioning and don't need me as much. Um, before I would really focus my energy on doing that again. And it makes it easier because the whole Pacific's pretty much still closed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, it was been, it's been a good time to stop and stay focused on other things. Wicked. And this has become the question I'm now asking, like every guest is the All last right. question, but what would you like your, what would you like your legacy to be ultimately? Mm. Interesting question that I've never been asked. Um, oh, good. <laughs> I would I would like to be remembered as someone who, you know, fought for the planet and fought for those who are vulnerable, animals and humans included. And, um, yeah, be remembered as a change maker and... Uh, someone with a big heart who who's really thinking of others um but at the same time just wants to have fun and and um, be herself and 
live outside of the box, you know, live like I want to live and um, make life what I want it to be. That's that's perfect. And we'll be with you every step of the way. It's just so awesome following your adventures. And I'm so excited to keep checking in on all your exciting work and big, biggest congrats on everything that's really taking off and on the new on going to the big screen and of course your wedding always a very exciting time (laughs) thank you so much sophie thank you so much for being a guest and we'll catch you next time really a pleasure to talk to you take care